suddenly and thighs itched like crazy, but I really had no clue why. There was no rash or dry skin. My skin actually looked crystal clear. The itching eventually started distracting me at work, and I scratched so hard that I would break the skin. I just couldn't help it. A few weeks later, I sat slumped over with confusion in a dermatologist's office. We had talked about the itch party that had been going on, and Dr. G was about to send me on my merry way with a special prescription for eczema. I hesitantly asked her, I know this isn't your terrain, but can you feel my neck? I have a mystery lump above my collarbone, and it feels like it's getting bigger. I might be crazy, but do you mind checking? I laughed nervously after blurting all of that out at once. After some firm pressing all around my neck, Dr. G strongly recommended I visit a general practitioner, so much so that she called me twice the next week to ensure I made the appointment. More on that later. I had fought Lyme's disease in high school twice and was treated with PIC Lyme, so I was familiar with the doctor scene and understood that I had to follow this path to diagnose the mystery lump and advocate for myself. I was 23 years old and had just moved into Manhattan with two roommates on the Upper East Side. I didn't have a doctor in the city, so I popped over to my health insurance website to search the directory. I picked one of the doctors that was closest to my apartment. So I headed there for my appointment and got the necessary blood work and chest x-ray, and I quickly learned that my sedimentary rate was very, very high, and the mystery lump was a mass that showed up on the x-ray. The doctor quickly referred me to an ENT, a nearest note and throat specialist, to continue the investigation. I went on my own to see the ENT, and after the mystery lump um, got what would be a police-approved pat-down, I was urged to make an appointment with a head and neck surgeon. The ENT casually told me that the lump was one of two things, a severe infection or lymphoma. The confusion flooded my brain again. Lymphoma, uh, like cancer, I managed to squeak out. The doctor reiterated that the first delivery of his assessment. Well, it's either an infection that, you know, caused your lymph nodes to swell, which could be easily rectified with strong antibiotics, or it's cancer. And only a needle biopsy to the mystery lump would confirm this. My heart started racing, and I quickly called my mom to update her. She said, I'm coming with you. The next day, we sat quietly as the giant needle took a swan dive into the mystery lump. It was super uncomfortable, but I knew after a week and a half of doctors and test marathons, we had to get to the bottom of this. The doctor was actually about to review the biopsy right away. My mom and I patiently waited as he scooted into his office to make his assessment. After what felt like an eternity, but was probably only like 10 minutes, Dr. S came back into the room with the news. I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. My heart sunk and my face froze like a statue with wide eyes. He went on to share that it was one of the best cancers to have because it has an effective treatment plan with a high cure rate. I didn't take that as good news initially, and my mom and I walked out of the examination room. I collapsed in her arms and whispered to her, I don't want to die. I am so young, and I have a lot more life to live. My mom told me we were going to get through it. The next biopsy was to confirm what stage and type of Hodgkin's lymphoma with the tissue biopsy. So on December 31st, 2007, also known as New Year's, I had surgery so they could take a slice out of the enlarged lymph node. As the ball dropped at midnight, I was fast asleep in a pile of drool on my parents' couch recovering. I had wanted to try to stay up to watch the new year roll in. Remember Dr. G, the dermatologist? Well, later on, she told me she was quite sure I had lymphoma. 
She remembered the day in medical school when her teachers warned her not to dismiss young patients with itchy skin. They could actually have lymphoma. And boy, was I glad she didn't skip that day in class. So I started six months of chemotherapy. I still worked full time. I'd go get my chemotherapy every other Thursday and then head to work a few blocks away. I lost my hair and I grew fatigued as the treatment wore on, but I was determined to keep as much normalcy as possible. In June of that year, I was declared in remission. I decided to take on a challenge of training for a half marathon. While I was sick, a few friends had decided to train with team and training to raise money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. I was inspired by them to tackle my own race. And after four months of rigorous training, I crossed the finish line of the Disney half marathon with friends and family cheering me on. I felt like I was on top of the world. During the race weekend, I felt the lump above my collarbone return. That week, I headed to my oncologist's office to get it checked out. A PET scan confirmed the cancer had returned. It's not too common to relapse, so I was actually pretty sidelined. I really had felt that the whole cancer thing was behind me. The treatment the second second time around was a lot more intense. I remember asking my doctor, can I still run? He stayed pretty quiet as he smiled and said yes, but not as intense as the race you had just that I just had to run. I'm happy to say I was informed about the impact of the treatment on my fertility, and at the age of 24, I went through the process to freeze my eggs. I have 23 little Laurens frozen. More on that later. By that time, I had started a new role in fundraising and event planning at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, one of the best hospitals in the whole world. I was in good hands. It was more chemo, a stem cell collection, two weeks radiation, high-dose chemotherapy, and a stem cell transplant. I was in isolation for nearly six weeks. I lost my hair again, literally all over my body, and my finger and toenails fell off as well. I suffered from high fevers and throat sores. I couldn't even swallow my own saliva. My mom slept with me in the hospital every night. My friends and family were my true support system, and I really would not be here without them. So that summer, I was finally declared in remission. Step by step, I built up my strength. Recovering to my new normal took nearly a year, and I'm proud to say that I'm now nine years in remission. Fitness changed my life. I went on to run more half marathons, two marathons for Fred's team, running past Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center during the New York City Marathon, And I can't even explain how incredible it was to run past the place that saved my life. About a year after my transplant, a friend introduced me to bar classes at Exhale. I definitely couldn't hold a two-minute plank, but I was darn impressed by the room full of strong humans that could. My teachers inspired me to become a teacher, and Chi-Chi Life was started about four years ago. Let me take you back to earlier this year. My husband and I started trying for a family. April 18th. The day after my birthday, I learned I was pregnant. At seven weeks, I went to my first OBGYN appointment. As I experienced the ultrasound, super eager to hear and see our little one, the OBGYN was quiet for a while. She said she couldn't see anything. She eventually stopped and said, there are a few things that could be happening, or that could have happened. A chemical pregnancy, where your HCG levels are high, but then the pregnancy actually doesn't quite stick was how she described it. Or, my dates could be off. Perhaps it's just a little too early to see the embryo. I knew, though, that I had been tracking very meticulously in my app, so I didn't really think that that 
could be the case. And lastly, an ectopic pregnancy where the embryo implants outside their uterus. So it's actually uh, not a viable pregnancy. She said they'd review my blood work and get back to me the next day. I had a feeling I wasn't going to get good news. And we spoke the next day and she said, well, you're indeed pregnant. So let's wait a full week to do another ultrasound, more comprehensive. So I waited in limbo for a whole week, wondering what was happening inside my body. And ironically enough, that Sunday was Mother's Day and we were with my family celebrating and it just was kind of wild to not know if I too would be a mother soon. So that Monday, my husband and I went in for the full ultrasound that took nearly 45 minutes. The technician was silent the entire time. She left and then another doctor came in to tell me I had an ectopic pregnancy. The embryo was in my right fallopian tube and I'd need emergency surgery today. So at this point, we were eight weeks along and I never left the hospital. I had the surgery and recovery has taken a while, both physically and mentally. My husband and I planted a tree in honor of our wandering soul and we still feel a sense of loss, but no, we must move forward. We may eventually need those eggs I froze nearly 10 years ago. We deeply believe that we'll have a family one day. Over the years, I've connected with so many incredible individuals because of my experience with cancer, and now even most recently in ectopic pregnancy. I would never trade them for the world. And when I think about resiliency, many different contexts come up for me. Perhaps what is obvious to most is keeping the will to fight, to live through and beyond treatment. But what people may not understand is that being a cancer survivor, the resiliency trait is one that is still vital to embody every day. Those internal battles, the fear of the cancer returning, developing a second cancer. For example, I'm at high risk now for breast cancer, so I'm in a breast surveillance program at Memorial Sloan Kettering, so I've already, you know, in my early 30s had MRIs, mam- mammograms, trying to, you know, stay on top of it as something were to happen. Uh, other things that go on are anxiety, which is anxiety before a PET or CT scan, fertility, dealing with those post effects of treatment. Resiliency is a necessity. My close friends that went through a stem cell transplant deal with intense post effects, high blood pressure, cognitive delays, hypothyroidism, heart issues, menopause at the age of 27, 40% lung capacity, and with that, collapsing of her remaining lung twice, eventually needing a lung transplant. But my friends thrive. They run marathons. They start their own businesses. They do Pilates. They take bar. They spin. They walk. They hike Mount Kilimanjaro. They get engaged. They have babies. They go to school. They keep living. They are resilient every darn day. No matter what your obstacles are, I invite you to approach life with the same resiliency as my rock star cancer survivors. We are all fighting our own battles, and how you show up to deal with them is your choice. Choose resiliency. Choose love. In sharing my story, I have learned we are not alone. My biggest dream is to be on national TV sharing my story of resiliency. I firmly believe we are stronger together. We all have a story to share and a voice that is meant to be heard, and we want to share yours. 
For more information and to get involved, visit storiesofinspiringjoy.com. Stories of Inspiring Joy is a production of Seek the Joy Media and created by Sydney Weiss. You can find all episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, hit subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're creating greater connection and community, one powerful story at a time. Thank you.